0: Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Alright guys, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. We're back again today for the second to last time with Vince Husek. He's been on a lot lately, he's got a lot of important things to say, but this is by far my favorite conversation probably that I've ever had with him. He's a guy that I know pretty well um, and really value my relationship with him. We've had a lot of cool conversations over the years, but um, this one, I'll be honest with you, is um, one of the coolest, most heartfelt, most emotional, and uh, just rich conversations I've ever had. Um, and uh, I'm so happy and so excited to share it with you. He's going to talk about his journey through leukemia, and he's going to talk about that in great detail. And I know it's a long podcast this time, but it is totally worth listening to. Um, it's totally worth hearing the story, uh, and if you're anything like me, hearing this story and hearing what he's gone through and what he's overcome and how the Lord has strengthened him and helped him to grow through this experience— um, It, man, it changed my life on the spot and uh, not in like, you know, the silly cheesy, oh man, you changed my life way, but uh, it really helped me to reframe my own reality and helped me to understand life a little bit better and the situation a little bit better and man, it gave me a little bit of a new outlook on, on my own life, my own spiritual life, so Um, I'm super happy you're with us. Make sure you're liking this podcast, sharing this podcast. Um, Give Vince a shout out. He's been tagged in all the Instagram and Facebook stuff that I've been putting up for his interviews. And I know he loves hearing from you and getting that encouragement. So, man, I'm excited. With no further ado, let's get back into the Vince Husek interview today. He's talking about his journey, about leukemia, and about his journey of faith. All right, so we have talked about uh, when we got to know you a little bit, we talked about your journey so far and uh, facing leukemia. And how old were you when you were, So 26? I was 26. 26 with one, like a two year old son or one year old son? I had
1: a 10 month old at the time.
0: A 10 month old, a and one on the way. You say, and a, and a bride for a year? Uh,
1: or yeah. Two years? Yeah, uh, for about a 10 and a half months. Uh, basically <laughs> that's which yeah. we I mean we joke about but that's basically like we got pregnant within a week of getting married yeah. so he was ten months old and we had been married for uh, well I'll put it this way we got married in December, and I was diagnosed with leukemia in uh, August of the uh, so we had been married for about a year and a half half yeah, i guess like that, yeah. yeah we've been married for about 19 months there's the there i'm doing the math right yeah he was 10 months old uh and yeah so about we've been married about 20 months
0: just short yeah. of two years and then uh just buying your first house was that before or after you got the phone call
1: it was uh right before i actually uh went to sign the papers to close on the house and uh, when I left the closing, I was so physically weak that uh, Tamber, my wife, had mm-hmm. to carry Olson, our son, out of the uh, out of the agency that we were closing at, because uh, I I couldn't do it. Uh, she had to carry him to the car, and that's when I really was like, okay, something's not i'm really sick
0: yeah like i can't, can't perform we like get, there's nothing yeah. Here, yeah.
1: i can't carry my 10 month old we i gotta go back to the doctor and and we gotta yeah, figure it going out on. and that was it and so i i went back um and i went back i think that it was that afternoon but it might have been the next day uh, that i went i scheduled the doctor's appointment and said mm-hmm. well, we gotta figure this out now because this is not this isn't working. Something's wrong.
0: And so, like, what were you – you talked about having, like, the numb lip and yeah. jaw and everything, but, like, what What else was – was there anything else going on? Um,
1: so it was kind of like – I thought I had some kind of, like, summer flu, basically, uh, because I had spent about a week and a half or so uh, kind of feeling really, like, flu symptom-ish. I had uh, just, like, really low energy and was feeling uh, kind of, like, just run down. I would come home from football practice – and crash on the couch, uh, and be like coughing up, you know, like like you are when you have the flu, coughing yeah. up a bunch of junk, uh, which wasn't from the flu. Turns out it was from the softball-sized tumor that was like. Crushing. Yeah, that'll do it to you. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll produce produce a bunch of junk in your throat. Go figure. <laughs> uh, so that's was what something. was going on. Yeah, it wasn't any sickness. It was just this big nasty. Uh, lump and the leukemia that was flowing through my blood uh that was making all that happen
0: yeah so uh you talked a little bit about like trying to self-diagnose there and, and come in so it wasn't yeah. quite as big of a shock as it might otherwise yeah. have been um but like how does what happens in your brain when the doctor walks into the room and gives you that news or when you get i guess you got the phone call but when you find out it's leukemia and that it's you know It's a different strain, and it's it's kind of staring you in the face. So
1: I had a really interesting, uh, I went to uh, one hospital. I went to the hospital that was connected to our clinic uh, when I was told, when I got that phone call, and they said, go to the emergency room. I went to the emergency room uh, that was affiliated with our clinic uh, downtown in Milwaukee, St. Mary's Mm -hmm. um, Hospital, St. Mary's, yeah. Uh, went to the hospital there and uh, spent some time there like getting some tests done and things weren't, it's just a general practice hospital. It's not a cancer right, facility. Yeah. And so they uh, really kind of had a hard time and it wasn't a great. And I think like in the moment it really felt like that was kind of on them in hindsight. It it's just not there It's not what they're set up to do. Right, they're yeah. not. They're not the experts. And as soon as they found out kind of what was going on, they sent me right over to freighter because they weren't uh, prepared yeah. and ready for that. Um, but that meant that there was really kind of an interesting like in between time because I spent two nights there, uh, just kind of like waiting to figure out my fate and figure out like what exactly was going on because nobody knew, like they knew that those test results were uh, worrisome, but they had no official diagnosis for over 48 hours. And so in between there, uh, it really led to some weird, kind of uh of moments and i had a moment there at the hospital uh that i haven't actually haven't talked about this um with anybody um so this is this is world exclusive um i had a moment uh where i had kind of come to terms with um what was potentially going on and i uh was about to have kind of a a breakdown and a nurse came in and I don't know if you ever had one of these experiences where you like talk to somebody and you're you're wondering if maybe you had some kind of like interaction with some kind of uh, like an angel showing up Uh, but I had an interaction with a, a nurse there at the hospital who came in and was just uh, asking how I was doing and uh, made it very clear that uh, she had some, some really strong faith uh, too. And that kind of, for me, was like the open door to uh, just kind of start talking a little bit about what I was feeling and what I was going through. And At that point, uh, especially because I had been like kind of chasing the dragon about like Mm -hmm. maybe this is cancer for like three weeks already. I was kind of like concerned that maybe that was the case. And so I kind of come to terms with that. And I then was freaking out about like, okay, I know where I'm going I know what's going to happen to me and I'm not afraid of dying. But what I am afraid of is what's going to happen to my one and now two children and my wife. Wow. Um and the and the Even darker side to that is that my wife lost her dad when she was 12. And so uh, this was – I was like on the doorstep of seeing a a repetitious cycle of uh, just brokenness and difficulty played out for my wife, who's a a wonderful woman of God in spite of – all the the difficulty that she has grown up with in that Mm -hmm. circumstance and i was just watching the possibility of that repeating itself and i had an absolute sobbing like a baby breakdown going like i don't know what's gonna happen like i'm not scared for me but i am so scared for my family and this nurse just held my hand and prayed for me like like spirit of God in this yeah. room prayed for me. Not like just, uh, you know, oh, geez, I'm really sorry for Vince. But like this, I mean, she wasn't speaking in tongues or anything, but it was <laughs> one of these like the the spirit of God is in this room right now. And it was this just overwhelming, like it doesn't fix what's going on. It doesn't take away, uh, these worries, but it did start to put me on this path towards, uh, some of these big revelations about God, uh, and about where we stand in a uh, relation to him when we're in right relation, uh, that I had while I was in the hospital, uh, that were, Really, really deep and tremendous, uh, but I was feeling for the first time some of these things that God was kind of taking me on a journey um, that was starting right there.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that journey a little bit. And you saying God's taking on a journey? Where did he, where did we go?
1: Yeah. Um. So I'm. So then I was transferred to another hospital, and I met the oncology team. Uh, and had a really interesting uh, moment where uh the news of my second child uh was broken to my parents uh because right in the middle of all this yeah oh right in the middle of all of this right so we were uh we had just figured out seems like you know th- just, you know things are happening all the time we had just figured out that we were having our second son uh Lincoln uh and we Uh, we're at the hospital. We had, we had been talking to a stream of nurses and doctors and everybody's asking questions and trying to get to know you, Uh, try and build this patient rapport, which is really nice. Um, But they're all strangers to me. And so I'm telling them everything about what's going on in my life. Plus I'm like at, you know, serious medical risk. I've been Mm -hmm. transferred to one hospital from another Mm -hmm. because I've got cancer. And so I'm like, getting every detail out there just in case it's important to somebody. Uh, And then my parents had come down uh, because they were concerned, obviously. And my parents and my wife uh, were in the room and the oncologist came in and he uh i had not we none of us had met him before and he starts spouting off information about uh who i am and you know what what's kind of going on uh, stuff that i'm sure he had heard from the nurses kind of retelling the story all right i know that you are you know a teacher i know that you are a uh, know that you're married know that you're a father of two one that's here and one on the way and at that moment everybody in the room paused and my I looked over at my parents because I knew that they didn't know because we hadn't told them yet. And they're just like, uh, What? <laughs> my mom goes, eh, Two what? <laughs> and the the doctor's eyes get about as big as two saucepans. And it's like, Oh, they I was like, Thanks, Doc. <laughs> And everybody's just like, hold on. And And he's like, they didn't know? I was like, no. No, they didn't know. No, because I told some strangers, these doctors and nurses, that I thought were going to have doctor patient confidentiality. And it turns out they're busting me out in front of my parents. Thanks, doc. Nice to meet you. And it was was an absolute riot. And my... uh, my doctor is a, is a great dude, uh, Dr. Ihabatala. He's a fantastic oncologist, awesome guy, uh, Christian man, two young sons, awesome, uh, awesome guy, turns out. But we had a, a rocky getting to know each other. <laughs> Anyways, that all subsides, and everybody goes away, and you start chemo, and then you spend most of your time as a patient by yourself. Uh, my wife had you know a, a kid to take care of, and there were people there to like kind of take care of her. And people, a lot of people came to visit me uh, during the time that I was there. But you spend most of the day, even with a bunch of visitors, by yourself with a lot of time to think about what's going on. Uh, may you know, for some people, it's probably too much time, uh, and for me. It was just the right time and I got to spend a bunch of time uh, digging into the word but also digging into like what was going on inside of my brain and my heart and all the mental gymnastics that went along with that and trying to figure out uh, where I fit in relation to God and what this meant for Our relationship uh, and my life and and how this all fit together Uh, and I went through some some hard and dark times because you spend a lot of your time uh, especially in America these days and in the American church of the 21st century uh, listening to and believing, a really like sterilized positive, you know, happy go lucky message. I've heard uh, a bunch of people that I really respect uh, refer to the the religion that many people in America have as what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah,
0: it's Chris Chris Tomlin theology.
1: Yeah, where uh, people have. You know, bought into this uh, kind of sterilized view of like there's something out there in the cosmos, quote unquote, uh, and and really have uh, taken away some of the power uh, that belongs to the the God that of, of the God of the Bible, um, and so I had some time. Uh, throughout my life, but specifically there to really kind of investigate some of those claims uh, of about who God is. Um, and the, the journey that I was on in the investigation and the and the reading and the thought that I kind of came around to is that at the end of the day, if we believe uh, in the God of the Bible and we we read it rightly and we understand him correctly uh, we have to come away with the understanding that his plan for my life is better than my plan for my life full stop there are no questions there his plan for my life is better than my plan for my life, and if my plan was better, I would be god that's the That's the fundamental presupposition there like if my plan is the best plan in the universe, then I ought to be God, and if it's not the best plan in the universe, then that means something something else is above that and So if God's plan is better than my plan, then that means if I'm here in this bed with leukemia, face-to-face with the possibility of death, then that is better than what I would have written for me as my plan. And I don't understand that, and most of the time I don't like that. But that doesn't change the fact that His plan is better than my plan and he is, uh, the overarching, uh, structure for our world. And there is a lot of opportunity to not find joy in that there's not much peace, uh, unless I think you really fully understand that and believe that and want to be uh in submission to God. And if you are and I was, then you come to this point where you go Well, wait a second. I don't I don't understand this. I don't see the purpose right now, but I'm a a finite being and just like I look at my son and say daddy owns all of this you don't get to say mine and push your brother now I the lens is flipped and I have to go God's got all of this you're part of his plan and You don't get to say mine to your health, to your family, to your career. You're part of this and your job is bring me glory. And that's not a concept that like, The 21st century American, let alone the 21st century church, but the 21st century American rejects that concept out of hand and says, give me the glory. Uh, The Christian faith and the the God of the Bible disagree. And they say, give him the glory. We are made to bring him glory. And where we fit in the story of uh, the world is in position to bring glory to him and if that means that i die then that's a better ending and it's a better story than i would have written for myself Uh, and i don't know and i don't know why that is but i'm not the author and so it's not my job to know why that is And there is something about that that frees a person up on a level that is not comprehensible to the average person uh, because you just understand where you fit and can let go of a lot of the garbage that we hold on to.
0: Yeah, that's well said. That's very, very well said and powerful. So with that in mind, um, what's kind of your mindset going into, going into treatment, knowing that the Lord has a plan that, like he says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, I have a plan for you. I have a plan to prosper you and give you hope of a future. So what, what's your mindset then going in saying, Lord, this is, this is you. Uh, how do you, how do you go into that?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, once you get to that point, uh, then it was, uh, just a matter of saying, all right, well, I trust uh, the process, I trust that these doctors are uh incredibly skilled and have been uh blessed with uh, fantastic ability to be able to provide great treatment uh, I need to do what they tell me to do. I need to show up for uh all the appointments and uh, check all the boxes and come what may then I mean yeah,
0: that will be done,
1: yeah. Uh, it's not, and then at that point, uh, once I kind of wrapped my mind around that, it was like, Well, I have great joy when I face trials of many kinds because uh, no matter what happens here, I know where I'm going, uh, and then. Uh, the the deeper kind of uh, thing there is that I spent this time and I talked about uh, having this breakdown with this nurse and being concerned about what happens uh, with my family. Well, the implication there then is that if God's plan is better than my plan, then the upshot is if his plan is to take me away from my wife and my children, then there must be some reason that he's got that plan put together and if i'm gone then it's either going to be better for them or it's going to be better for him and for god's kingdom and i can be at peace with that i can i can let go of me and submit to that and go all right i will be done if that's what it's all about I'm ready to go.
0: It's got to be a huge weight off your shoulders, too, just very freeing, knowing that it is out of your control, that it is out of your hands, and that the Father is, like you talked about the puppet master earlier, and not that the Heavenly Father is a puppet master, but just the idea that it's not, it's not on me now. I just yeah. got to play my part and let the Lord do his thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the nice thing, uh, there's a lot of nice things about leukemia. Uh, one of the nice things about <laughs> leukemia is that, yeah, I know, I, some of the things that I say, I just... You I, on my drink. Are just... Uh, <laughs> That's I,
0: perspective right there. That's I un- perspective at its finest.
1: I understand to the average person, make me sound like a maniac. Uh, there's there's some nice, some really nice things about leukemia, one of which is that uh, there's nothing that you do to to get leukemia... It just is a thing that happens to people. Uh, they asked me in my like uh, yeah, intake no questioning, uh, you know, have you been exposed to any large chemical spills? You know, like the Incredible Hulk, <laughs> uh, and they laugh when they ask you the question because they're like, well, you know, we. We have to ask this. We know you're a history teacher, but we got to ask, have you been exposed to any large chemicals? Nobody's
0: ever said yes to this question, but.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's exactly how they frame it. Is that like nobody ever answers this? Yes, but we have to ask because that's the only known cause. Otherwise, people just get leukemia through like, you know bad luck knock on wood Uh, and so because of that there's also there's nothing you can do to get it and there's nothing you can do to lose it short of uh, taking you know doing the chemo and and doing all those other things Uh, you know there's a lot of like science about what you might be able to do but like chemo gets rid of it and so you just follow the procedure and if it's supposed to work it'll work Um, and and that really simplifies things a lot because you can go in not like if you get lung cancer and you've been smoking for 20 years, then it's on you. If your liver fails and you've been drinking your life away, then like it's on you. If you get leukemia, well, I mean, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it is what it is. It, it happens. And so you just got to roll with it. like there's five-year-olds that are getting the same cancer every day, and they didn't do anything to earn it, not just like you didn't. And so you just got to roll with it and do the best that you can.
0: That's good. I like that. Um, so you talked a little bit about uh, that, uh, the experience with the nurse uh, praying with you and the power of God in the room. Uh, you talked about the realization that you came to that the Lord guided you to of you know this isn't I, I'm just playing a part. In his story, and that it's in his hands, his will will be done either way. So it's just my job to play my part. So um, to lean into that a little bit, what is there any, was there any particular source of strength that kind of guided you through this? Like what, like when, when you're sitting there in that room alone, like you said, what uh, what did you turn to? Where'd you go for uh, strength and encouragement?
1: Yeah. Um, so I. When I was there by myself, uh, there were two uh, things that I really kind of uh, got strength from. I mean, there were plenty of things that I did to try and just like avoid the moment. Uh, Listening to podcasts and watching movies and uh, doing all that to just try and get away from it for a while. Uh, But as far as things that really uh, were functionally helpful and, and foundational and kind of where I was going. Um, I read through the entire book of Job while I was in there, which felt like particularly fitting. Uh, plus I was on a, the other, the other part of all this treatment is that I was on a bunch of steroids, which made you, uh, people not, not anabolic steroids. that get you all jacked. He's
0: <laughs> going to the gym.
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't that uh, I was on a bunch of corticosteroids, which do a bunch of good things to you and helped like shrink this tumor partially, uh, but also uh, are muscle wasting, so they're like the opposite of anabolic steroids oh, yeah. they they eat up your muscle uh, instead of getting it all jacked uh, but the other thing that they do that's kind of like a side effect of it is that they give me at least basically like unlimited energy, not energy so much, but I just wasn't, I didn't need to sleep. I would be up until 1230 or one o'clock every night. And I would wake up at five and I just wasn't tired like ever. And so I had all kinds of time despite whenever visited, like visitors could come whenever I could hang out with them Until they were ready to go and I had still then about 15 hours of the day that were just like open that I spent mostly by myself. Uh, so I spent a bunch of time digging into Job and read through all that. And Job, uh, if you don't know the story of Job, Job... It's not an bo-
0: easy book to read either.
1: Not a Yeah, not a fun story. Job was a guy who uh, was a rich man with a great life and a good family and followed after God. Uh, and the devil came to God and said, Yeah, Job only likes you because of all the stuff that you've given him. And if you just let me take away... The good things that you've given to Job, he will give up on you and he will run away and forsake you, God. And God said then, all right, you think that's what it is? That's not what it is. Go ahead, do whatever you want to Job. And Job's whole life basically got destroyed. His family died. His his home was taken away from him. Job was living like an animal out in the wilderness. Uh, and he stayed faithful despite his friends coming and saying, Hey, Job, like if this is all going on, then we know as uh, early Jewish people that like, There's something going on in your life. You're not telling us the full truth. You're not coming out from the shadows. There's something that you're hiding. You're doing something to bring this on you. That's how this works. You sin, and then God punishes you. And so God's punishing you. That's what we see. And you must then have done something wrong to deserve that. And long story short, Job hasn't, hasn't committed any sin and Job stays faithful and, and sticks around and eventually uh, Job uh, gets a, a new life and has uh, more children and a, and a better family and a bigger life and uh, still probably carries with him this like sadness and wounds from that because that's a weird thing that like people, you know, things end up quote unquote better for Job, but uh, Job never forgets yeah. this like family that he lost, uh, but Job is made whole at the end, and Job is uh, given uh, a, a better life uh, through uh, God seeing him tested in the fire. Uh, and for somebody that's going through uh, going through the fire, is at potentially death's door because at that point I was you know a week and a half or two weeks into being diagnosed with potentially life-threatening cancer Uh, it was incredibly humbling to read about this guy who is having his whole life torn apart and really at that point I mean and again this is where you know you can sound like a maniac but like nothing had happened to me I was told that I was sick and then I was told that I have, you know, the best doctors in the world basically trying to fix what's going on and I from the moment they said well, we know what's going on with you uh it got better and better and better progressively uh until they said you're in remission uh, 2 weeks after leaving the hospital and so For me, it was you know, it's it's bizarre for somebody with cancer to go like, Well, nothing had really happened to me. But but it hadn't. Nobody took my family away. Nobody ruined my nobody burned down my new house. Nobody destroyed what was going on with my life. And so I could read Job and go, Whoa, like, if this dude could go through all that and be following so closely after God then what does that say for me like i i better be able to do at least half of that <laughs> and so i did the best i could to to follow in that example and then the other thing that really uh paid huge dividends for me uh, is there's this pastor Matt Chandler who's the the lead pastor at the Village Church uh down in Texas And uh Matt Chandler had a bout of brain cancer. Uh I thought he got
0: through cancer himself.
1: He did. A few years before I got sick, uh Matt Chandler had had been diagnosed with brain cancer and had a bunch of radiation and the same deal, like tumors in the brain as a as a young man, relatively speaking. Uh and had to go through all of that, and had a while where he was like preaching sermons, and had lost yeah, all it's of incredible. his hair. It's incredible and, to see the pictures of it too. And is going through this tremendous physical. I mean, you can see it in his face, and is and is in is on stage in the pulpit uh you know bald head having having been totally just racked by chemotherapy and the and the good but the evil that it does to your body when it just kills indiscriminately doesn't know like every everything's bad to it it kills cancer and it kills good regular live cells uh and so matt chandler and his His walk through that and the way that he kind of parsed out some of the uh, ins and outs of what does it mean to me to be a follower of God and to be face to face with death. How do I reconcile the goodness of God and the brokenness and pain in the world that I see at large but that I see most closely like in my own life and uh it's really a hard thing to take some wrestling Uh, and he has uh, you know come to some really great places that helped me come to some of the really great places that that I've come from where I can look at this and go getting leukemia might be the best thing that's ever happened to me and again like that's, it makes you sound like a maniac, but it is.
0: Well, and frankly, like I, I'm looking at you right now. I've been thinking this while you've been talking, and we've been together for like two hours now, and I've been thinking this as we were talking. The guys that met each other five years ago are gone, a- yeah. and and frankly, you've left me in the dust. There's a whole lot of me that's still there, <laughs> and, and you've left me in the dust as far as just growing up and becoming a man and. And the way you're speaking is incredibly powerful. And there's something going on there. And so I'd I'd like you to talk to that a little bit too. Like What what has changed about you? What's changed in you?
1: Yeah, uh, man, there's so much of it. And my wife and I talk about this every once in a while because we talk about uh, some of the struggles uh, that come along with being married and doing marriage well. Uh, because it is a hard, hard thing uh, to do well. Uh, and part of what I talk about, and it's like a pseudo excuse, but it's not really. Uh, when we're up against some of these difficulties, as I say, listen, are from the, from the day we got married, we have been in a constant state of flux and transition where mm-hmm. we we got married in this secret marriage uh, yeah. and then we immediately got pregnant and so we had a week basically to spend with each other as secret married people and then uh, the rest of our time together has been uh, not... Like having kids is great, but it changes what happens in your relationship. And so we uh, spent, you know, the first nine months of our marriage working out like how to be pregnant and married together. And then we had to figure out, you know, what was life like with a newborn? And we spent 10 months trying to figure that out. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. And the rest of our marriage since then has been really kind of shaped around that because the young, healthy, powerful, uh, take-on-all-comers man that she married is gone. And I have been, for the majority now of our marriage, uh, broken. I have been uh, beaten down health-wise. My energy is nowhere near the same. My I have not changed a diaper for my second son because of the health risks involved of chemo- with chemotherapy and they said right away like you're done changing diapers so my baby is 10 months old I've never changed one of his diapers she's handled all of that uh, in a lot of ways has had to do things like a pseudo single mom uh, And taking care of almost three children, in a way, for much of that time. And that changes you when you've spent 26 years building up a persona of this manly man, strong man. Mm -hmm. I take care. I don't need help. I'm this. I'm that. And you find out really quickly that, like, babe, I can't get out of the chair today. I just, like... I need to eat dinner in the living room while you eat in the kitchen with the boys, because uh, I'm just—I don't have the juice for it—and that's the kind of thing that takes a man and puts you in like a different place because you just understand how fragile your life and your strength and your ability to just white knuckle and grab on to life and do whatever you want with it is not what you think it is and so that really changes things and then like fast forward to this point where now i've been in remission for a year and a half basically um and there's this weird kind of thing that happens where you've been uh past the the darkest part of your life for a really long time and people in your just kind of periphery that aren't blood family or like, your basically just your blood family kind of lose track of where you're at in this system. And I still go uh, once a month and get juiced up with chemo and stuck with needles and and filled with chemotherapy. And every day I take pills and once a week, in fact, earlier today, I was at the doctor getting uh, my blood levels checked to make sure I'm doing all right and people lose track of that. And just assume that you're back to normal. And I'm not back to normal physically. I'm not back to normal health-wise. I'm not back to normal in almost any regard. Uh, and so that's another thing to navigate where you know that you have uh, profound areas of weakness. And the people that you're ex- dealing with in your day-to-day they don't know. They just assume that you're a regular dude. Like I have students that I never dealt with previously, especially switching from first semester when I kind of talked about it to second semester when I don't really, uh, where you're living in this strange dichotomy of worlds where some people just have no concept of what you're going through. And that makes me really kind of hyper aware of the fact that like yo if that's going on with me then what's happening with every other person that i interact with like there's Mm -hmm. probably a huge amount of stuff that every person i'm dealing with uh, has something going on it might not be cancer but every person that you deal with on a day-to-day basis has like some other extenuating circumstance going on and we need to be aware of that because I think it's super easy to see somebody that's especially young and like from the appearances healthy and go like all right well you got the world by the balls it doesn't matter what you know you have going on you should be able to handle your business and that's not always the case somebody can walk like a duck and talk like a duck but that doesn't mean they're a duck they might be something totally different uh, just wearing a duck costume and that's been revolutionary for me to go like whoa wait a second because I spent 26 years like not cutting people slack and holding people to exceedingly high standards and I think there's a lot of value to that but I think there's also like Whoa, got to be huge amounts of room for grace and understanding of like people are on a journey. And sometimes they are at the top of the mountain, but sometimes they are at the bottom of the valley. And you can't see that if you're not there with them checking in to make sure that's important to make sure that you like. Are aware of what's happening with people because there can be really, really big uh, implications to not knowing kind of what's going on with the people around you, uh, and not really like valuing that and, and taking care of that. Uh, another thing that I think uh, like has changed since then is that uh, having been in uh, like such high kind of pressure uh, situations for like a year basically you know being being at death's door is kind of like uh, what happens to some of these NFL football players or like huge entertainers who uh, are out there in these careers where they're like on this adrenaline rush all the time and doing these things and ah uh, the roar of the crowd and all this stuff. And that's not happens when you get not what happens when you get leukemia, but there's an, a different kind of like set of circumstances where uh, you are kind of like face to face with things that really matter and you have to deal with, you know, what's going on. Uh, in a very visceral, like in your face way. And so the consequence of that is that coming back to normal, mundane things in life and being able to, uh, being asked to uh, do things that don't like, don't trip your trigger so to speak, that don't get your adrenaline flowing and don't go like, this is full of meaning and, and rich and valuable. I find it now incredibly hard to look at those things and go, there's value here. There's, there's meaning here. I do uh, ACT practice things with... Uh, My students or uh, different, you know, requirements of just like regular day to day life. Uh, And sometimes it's really hard to get up for those things and go, yeah, all right, we should uh, we should be invested in this and we should care. When I go like I've been I've been at death's door and I've had to contemplate the deepest meaning uh, of life. And there was nothing there at that moment about ACT prep.
0: Yeah, nobody cares what your score was when yeah. you uh, nope. in the bed.
1: Nobody asked me, hey, dude, what was your, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking about, like, uh, whether you live or die. And, and part of that is about, like, what was your ACT score? <laughs> uh, no one checked.
0: Oh, man, if you would have been one point higher, your chances of survival would be that much better.
1: Yeah. No one asked, uh, did you make your bed this morning? And, and if you made your bed, uh, we're, we're thinking about giving you an extra survival point. Uh, and not that there's not value in those things because there is, but the weird thing is that like the motivation for some of those things really, uh, slips away in, in some of those moments. Uh, and that's kind of the biggest change that I've noticed is that it's hard to get up for things that don't like, I don't see deep rich meaning in. I don't see kingdom purposes in them.
0: So what do you see that kingdom purpose in then? Like, what are those things? If you like, what are your, maybe like your top five things? What, what does Vince now dedicate himself to? Because you see such incredible, uh, and this will be the end of that conversation then of just what, what can we, what do you, how do I phrase this question? If you could make like a top five list or top three list or something of what is worth it, what is worth your time, what, is an important thing to Vince now coming out the other side that you are able to get up for.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I'll, I'll start and I'll, I'll see how far we can go with this list. Um, I think number one, if you are a person who has a family, uh, those people need to be, uh, incredibly valuable to you. Uh, children and a spouse uh, and a spouse first and children second uh, need to be of really deep value to you and you need to make sure that you're not letting things uh, slip you're not letting conversations that should happen not happen uh, because you never know what could happen like let alone cancer but uh driving home, you know who knows what could happen, and I hate to be like morbid and be kind of leaning into that but but we never know like there's not a minute promise to us, and so uh being aware kind of of where you're at in those conversations and making sure that you're not leaving uh a potentially unhad conversation is a, is a big deal. Um, another thing that I, uh, kind of have been able to, to grab onto is finding things that you do, uh, find value in finding, you know, kind of what your, your stuff is, uh, and investing in that, uh, and not investing in that necessarily as like, uh, your, your primary thing. Um, but, but finding things that give you joy and, and making sure that you, Uh, find a way to to fit those things in um being uh, so maybe this is a third i think is that like being really uh valuable uh, to any like jobs that you're in or teams that you're on i think is is also a big important piece uh and is something that i i find meaning and value in is that like uh, when you are working a job, first of all, that's a blessing. Uh, and I say that as someone who has spent a year not doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a blessing. And it's really easy to get into the routine of any job and go, this is hard and frustrating and and I don't like that. Hold on, because there's a bunch of people out there who... Are wishing right now that they were you at your hard job and everybody's job is hard and you better just figure out a way uh to be a meaningful part of that because uh if you are a believer then like you're put there for a reason and even if you're not you're there for some some purpose and you're there to to help out the people that are there and to to better their lives um so so that's a big uh, a meaningful thing. Um and then I also um we might be able to get to 5 here. I think uh I have spent some time uh finally being able to not be afraid to have uh, some of the big conversations in life uh with uh, people that are are near and dear to me. Uh, And so I can think specifically of uh, one conversation I had uh, that was 10 years, probably more than 10 years in the making uh, with one of my best friends who uh, like knew that I had faith, uh, but who, who I had not ever like sat down and said, hey, man, like we need to talk about this because. I like I might not be here in six months and I don't want to leave this world not having told you about what makes me tick and mm. what makes me me. Yeah, I've been afraid of that conversation for a decade. And finally, I just fessed up and told him, like, hey, man, I've been scared to have this conversation for a decade, but it needs to go down. So so we're going to do it. Um, and it's amazing. I think uh, that people spend most of their life like afraid to have conversa- real conversations with people that uh, mean something to them. And if something is really important to you and you really care about somebody, then you should be able to have a conversation about it. And if that like totally torpedoes your relationship, then you know they didn't mean that much to you to begin with because if they can walk away over something pretty simple... It wasn't real Uh, and I'm learning so much about that uh, as a man but also as a teacher like teaching I teach a world religion class now and just seeing students kind of like puzzle over the questions and conversations regarding religion and see that people can have these conversations and not be at all awkward and I think sometimes especially as a Christian we get We believe the lie that people don't want to talk about spiritual things and people are going to get weird if we talk about spiritual things. And the reality is, like, most people want to talk about it. And if they don't want to talk about it, they're at least willing to talk about it and they're not going to be weird about it and the only one that's being weird about it is you the creepy christian that won't talk about it
0: well i think we'd sell the devil short too on some of that where like, we gotta face the reality that the devil is whispering like he doesn't want that message shared so when you are getting that message whether it's from inside or out that nobody wants to hear this or nobody wants to listen to you or this is gonna be weird if you do that's that's satan whispering in your ear hey um you know we don't want to do this
1: yeah 100%. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Once again, thanks to Vince Husek for sharing this awesome story of faith and courage um, and masculinity. It's cool um, beyond words. So I encourage you to reach out to Vince. Um, you can find him on, on Instagram and Facebook pretty easily because I've been tagging him on all the posts I've been doing. And uh, let him know. <laughs> Let him know you're praying for him and thinking about him and his family and uh, for his thank him for his words of encouragement and keep tuning in because we got some really cool interviews coming up. I'm about to take a trip to Newall, Minnesota, do a couple interviews with some people I know and love very much. And the, but the very next guy we're gonna call him Moose. Uh, we can't actually give you his real name for security reasons, but uh, he's got some cool things to say about being a warrior, being a man, and uh, life in the military. So tune in. We got some cool stuff coming your way on the Gird Up podcast. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at @timetogirdup. You can find us on Facebook at the gird Up podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach That's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H At gmail.com Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener. Because without you... This podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.